Welcome back, everyone. Let's jump right in. Barack Obama posted five hours ago today, Tuesday, December the 8th, 2020, and it's 3.55 p.m. on the West Coast. Barack Obama posted with COVID-19 cases reaching an all-time high this week. Wait, stand by just a moment. Quote, with COVID-19 cases reaching an, <clears throat> reaching an all-time high this week, we've got to continue to do our part to protect one another. This pandemic is far from over, and your actions can help save lives. And now we'll go to the article that's attached in the Atlantic magazine under the health section. The pandemic's final surge will be brutal. Over the weekend, the seven-day average of COVID-19 deaths passed the Springs Peak. By written by Wet Mauser, W H E T Mauser M O S E R, on December seventh. In the spring, during the first COVID nineteen. Surge in the United States, the rising death toll reached a sobering peak in April. A seven day average of 2,116 daily deaths. This past weekend, the seven day average of U.S. Deaths from COVID-19 broke that record twice at 2,123 on Saturday and 2,171 yesterday, according to the COVID Tracking Project at the Atlantic. Got these extra jackets here. Gotta grab one real quick here. Excuse me. Yesterday, the seven-day 
averages for all four of the primary metrics that the COVID tracking project follows. Tests, cases, hospitalizations and deaths were at record highs, but deaths offer the clearest comparison with the spring surge because in those early weeks, many more cases were going uncounted while testing was slow to ramp up. If the seven-day average of deaths remains above the spring record in the weeks to come, it will soon be inarguable that the pandemic winter is worse than the novel coronavirus's first surge. And, and every indication is that this surge will continue to worsen for some time because of the other milestones the U.S. has passed in recent days. 100,000 hospitalizations for the first time the first consecutive days of more than 2,500 deaths. Three, in fact, the first day of more than 200,000 new cases, which was followed by two more days above this threshold. Another foreboding sign is how bad conditions are across the country. From the beginning of November through yesterday, there were more than 100 COVID-19 deaths per one million people in the Northeast, the South, and the Midwest, which at 267 deaths per million had the highest rate in that period. I'll read that again. From the beginning of November through yesterday, there were more than 100 COVID-19 deaths per 1 million people in the Northeast, the South, and the Midwest, which at 267 deaths per million had the highest rate in that period, according to COVID tracking project data. The West had 94 deaths per million people. 
in April during the first surge. Only two regions, the Northeast, 602 deaths per million, and the Midwest, 138 deaths per million, were above that 100 deaths per million line. The West was at just 50 deaths per million. In July, only the South exceeded 100 deaths per million. In this surge, then, the share of deaths is more evenly distributed across the country. In the same period, starting in November, the Midwest represented 37% of U.S. deaths, the South 35%, the West 15%. The Northeast, 14%. In April, 60% of deaths occurred in the Northeast. No other region accounted for more than 17%. Since then, no region has been, correction, since then no region has seen anything like the conditions once seen in the Northeast, but seven months later, the picture in the country as a whole could be worse. The seven-day average of deaths is crucially important because the daily death toll is a noisy Number, we know from experience that the daily death falls substantially after weekends and holidays because the people counting get a merciful break. Any high daily death toll is worrisome no matter what it represents a lot of recent deaths, but the average gives a better indication of the rise and fall of the death toll across the country. While this new record is chilling and perhaps boosted by numbers coming in after the Thanksgiving delay, it's not unexpected. The unprecedented hospitalization numbers which doubled over the course of November made it all but inevitable. The proportion of cases that end in deaths, the case fatality rate, is much lower now than it was in the spring, but progress on lowering 
that number stalled in August as the epidemiologist Trevor Bedford found last month. Worst yet, the country could lose what progress it has made on the case fatality rate since the spring and see it increase, which would mean that people could die who, under other circumstances, might not have. Improvements in the outcomes of COVID-19 cases came in part from doctors and nurses learning how better to identify and treat the disease's most serious symptoms, which can vary widely from patient to patient. Healthcare workers cannot provide that level of care when hospitals are overwhelmed by the most serious COVID-19 cases. As Robinson, Meyer, and Alexis Madrigal have reported, hospitals have now hit a breaking point at which they no longer have the capacity to treat COVID-19 patients that not long ago might have been hospitalized. One indication observed by Ashish Jiha, the Dean of the Brown University School of Public Health, is that in recent weeks about 3.5% of cases translated into hospitalizations a week later, but that number has started falling. The University of Nebraska Medical Medical Center, which started preparing for such a scenario in 2003, making it perhaps the nation's best prepared hospital, was nearing its breaking point at the end of November, Ed Young found. The last three weeks of the year will tell us the magnitude of the situation. Thanksgiving caused a data lag and the seven-day average of deaths could likely increase in the next few days, in part because medical examiners will finish catching up on their work At the same time, we may start seeing the effect of Thanksgiving travel and gatherings on case counts. The surge many have been fearing by Christmas and into the New Year will have a sense of how new cases from Thanksgiving will translate into deaths. Around that time, 
correction, around that same time, vaccines will start to roll out in small numbers at first, but hopefully making a substantial difference in long-term care facilities, such as nursing homes, which have borne the brunt of the pandemic. As we see the worst of this catastrophe and the beginning of its end simultaneously. Thank you for listening. listening to Grammy Award-winning cellist David Darling, The Beauty of All Things, Homage to Kindness.
الا بخير Let's scan through some of the friends post on the on the Facebook. This looks like someone from Algeria maybe. Looks like a doctor. Okay, they they sent those posts before they have their masks on and they're protecting each other. The ability, let's see what this says, balance the ability to ride the waves of life and then get back up when you're knocked down. That's good. A smile is the most beautiful curve on a woman's body. There are many positive posts from different people and different groups. Some days all you can do is the best that you can do. A gentle reminder that not every day needs to be your most productive day. Quote, when I had COVID-19, I could barely breathe. My friend, Dr. Dooley, M.D., called to check on me, heard me struggling to speak, and said she was calling an ambulance. I begged her not to because I couldn't afford it. Nobody should have to make that decision. We need Medicare for all, end quote. That's one way of looking at the obvious. might even say that's an epidemic when there's not enough people insured then the rest of us that are insured we're basically in jeopardy oh here's good news from eco watch ecowatch.com the 
court rejects Trump's Arctic drilling proposal in huge victory for polar bears. Yeah, we need the polar bears more than we need these billionaires and people that never get enough. I think that's what Dr. Mary Trump, his niece, wrote in her her book, Never Enough. Oh, here's a good quote. Some people think they are champagne in a tall glass. When in actual fact, they're lukewarm piss in a plastic cup. In a tiny cup and that. I can, if I can add that. Oh, the CIA psychologist. Oh, CIA psychological profiler who labeled Trump, quote, dangerous, end quote, dies of COVID-19 at 86 in the Washington Post. Art of Nature, the Elephant Rock Island, is a land of volcanoes. Oh, wait, correction. Art of Nature, the Elephant Rock. Iceland is a land of volcanoes, and here, centuries of volcanic eruptions formed sea cliffs that appear almost fairy tale like a portion of the volcano formed coast on uh, H E I M A E Y Hey Mai which means home island looks almost exactly like the head of a large elephant sticking its trunk in the water. Some people think that it must have been shaped with human intervention. The elephant's realistic appearance is at least partially due to the fact that the cliff consists of basalt, basalt rock which gives the figure skin that looks wrinkled and grayish, just like a real elephant. <laughs> it's, it's something else. It really does look like an elephant. Hmm. Oh, let's see what Hubble... Hubble Space Telescope has to say. 
It's easy to absorb too much ultraviolet light. Sunburn anyone? But what does it mean to observe it? Ultraviolet light provides practically endless insight into energetic processes near and far from auroras on Jupiter to the vibrant glow of young stars in distant galaxies. Explore how Hubble observes ultraviolet light and what it reveals. Ooh, they have the most beautiful pictures. Quote, you, you did great today, close quote. Oh, good here. President-elect Joe Biden is nominating retired four-star General Lloyd J. Austin III to serve as Secretary of Defense if confirmed Austin would be the first black official to hold the position, continuing Biden's campaign promise to build a cabinet that looks like America. A former commander in Iraq, Austin served as the only black American to head the U.S. Central Command and was responsible for efforts in Iraq, Afghanistan, Yemen, Yemen, and Syria. During the Obama administration, Biden and Austin worked together closely as the then vice president spearheaded policy in Iraq and the general oversaw the logistical challenges of withdrawing U.S. combat forces in 2011. Some have praised the choice specifically noting the historic nature of his role Representative Stephen Horsford, Democrat, Nevada, who currently serves as a liaison between the Biden-Harris transition team and the Congressional Black Caucus, said the CBC is pleased with Austin and believes he will provide critical leadership to the men and women who serve our country and protect our freedom. Representative Benny Thompson, Democrat, Missouri. No, Democrat, Mississippi, MS. Another member of the CBC said that General Austin is a Southerner 
has impeccable credentials given his military career and would be an outstanding secretary for the department. However, other national security and defense experts remain skeptical, highlighting the importance of having a civilian, not military, personnel overseeing the department. Former Acting Assistant Secretary of Defense Representative Elisa Slotkin tweeted that though she has deep respect for Austin, the job of Secretary of Defense is purpose-built to ensure civilian oversight of the military. After the last four years, civil-military relations at the Pentagon definitely need to be rebalanced. A major sticking point for those who would like to see corporate interests separated from government power is Austin's relationship to the military-industrial complex. After retiring, Austin joined the board of directors of Raytheon Technologies, one of the top defense manufacturers, contractors, and arms suppliers in the world. Austin's predecessor, Mark Esper, nominated by Trump in 2019, faced intense criticism for his connection to Raytheon after serving as a lobbyist for the company, which receives billions of taxpayer dollars annually. Political reports that a former defense official close to the Biden-Harris transition team saw Austin as a safe choice who would carry out Biden's military agenda in a new op-ed in the Atlantic. Biden called Austin a true and tested soldier and leader who built a career grounded in service to this country and challenged the institution that he loves to grow more inclusive and more diverse at every step. Roland Martin unfiltered on YouTube interviewed quite a few of the generals during this year, 2020. So if you need to hear General Lloyd Austin is his name, you need to hear him speak and you haven't heard him speak, 
there's one place you can find him. Quote, positive vibes and beautiful things. Quote, sometimes you meet someone and you know from the first moment that you want to spend your whole life without them. <laughs> End quote. <laughs> okay. That's absolutely true. <laughs> yeah. It's not sometimes <laughs> that happens many times. Okay. NewYorkTimes.com Republicans pushed to restrict voting. Millions of Americans pushed back. That's online at nytimes.com. Oh, from traces of history and archaeology and art. December 4th, posted archaeological excavations in the southern Turkish province of Adana's Umertalic district have unearthed a rare mosaic, mosaic depicting the ancient Greek god of the sea, Poseidon. It is believed to date back to the 3rd century or 4th century A.D. Oh, it looks like it has not been touched. I, I hope that it doesn't look like they're going to do any damage to it. Oh, it still has color and everything. My, oh. There's beauty, beauty all around us, under our feet, everywhere. But yet still, some people can remain bitter, angry. I guess it's time to move on from 
these these scrolling rolling posts and uh, hop into the farmer's market the line should be better by now we know there's panic buying right now because all the non-stop reporting on the coronavirus. So there's panic, panic buying in the lines. Everywhere should be long. It's uh, 4.48 p.m. here on the West Coast. So it will be dark soon. And it's already chilly cold, but that's good to clean out the lungs. And it's the perfect weather to make soups <laughs> and hot lasagna, hot food. So Stay well, take care of yourself. Thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting. Bye. Why do you take so long? Let's separate family members. Supporting parents and also concerned family members.
we're diverting some of the cases not like right now. And typical diversion rates just for comparison in the county run around 10 to 15 percent. We've almost 71 percent increase in the last 14 days for hospitalizations. By the state's calculation, Southern California's remaining ICU capacity dropped below 15 percent at the end of last week, triggering the regional stay-at-home order under which health officials are saying, despite the devastating impact on livelihoods, it's imperative for all to remain home as much as possible. Without some major change in our overall behavior and our movements, we will see hospitals continue to feel that pressure and get overwhelmed. By the state's calculation, over just three days at the end of last week, Southern California's remaining ICU capacity plunged. It dropped in half from 20% to 11%, but since then has remained relatively stable. It's at 10.1% today, due in part to steps being taken by the hospitals. But the real wild card here is being right at the beginning of the expected surge in cases from Thanksgiving, mixing cases that have incubated are now being detected. And if the pattern holds, 10% of them will need hospitalization. Reporting live, Patrick Healy, NBC4 News. Patrick, thank you for that. Now, restaurant owners have been pretty frustrated with the new stay-at-home order. But today, a judge is expected to officially rule that the county did not have all the facts when it shut down the restaurants last week. But as NBC4's Ted Chen explains, the ruling doesn't mean all that much for those still trying to pay the bills. Restaurants are celebrating today's ruling, but it doesn't mean they can legally resume outdoor dining. So many are still wondering if they'll be able to survive. This just doesn't make sense to us. Restaurant owner Walter Scheel says he's hopeful about today's ruling, where a judge criticized L.A. County health officials for acting, quote, arbitrarily in banning outdoor dining. He told us from his empty dining patio that he's frustrated about getting property tax and other bills from a government that shut down his ability to pay them. How am I supposed to pay the county of Los Angeles $63,000 when I had to lay off 40 people and I can't serve customers outside in a patio? We asked for a credit. Can we get six months credit? We've been closed for six months. No, you have to pay it. Shield says he's had to close three of his five restaurants with this one, Hinoki and the Bird in Century City, barely holding on. He says only five of his employees are working now. The judge today appeared sympathetic to restaurants but said they still could not reopen outdoor dining because of the state stay-at-home order. The city of Manhattan Beach has worked around that ban by designating outdoor dining areas as parklets where people can eat their takeout. I think the outdoor dining ban is a mistake, but if you're going to close the restaurant down or the barber shop or the nail salon, you have to provide relief. We shouldn't pay these fees. On the one hand, while you've ordered us closed. Shield says he applied for a grant but was told he did not qualify, and he worries about his employees, he says, who have been struggling to get unemployment benefits. In Century City, Ted Chen, NBC4 News. Thank you, Ted. It is indeed a dilemma, and today, President Trump and President-elect Joe Biden held dueling health care events highlighting the deep political divide still between these two camps. The president-elect, Biden, saying that the goal is to get 100 million COVID vaccines to Americans in his first 100 days in office. Masking, vaccination, opening schools. These are the three key goals for my first 100 days. At the same time, President Trump celebrating the expected approval of the first COVID vaccine for U.S. distribution. Nobody thought it was even remotely possible to do what we've done in a period of less than nine months. 
And there are reports that the Trump administration repeatedly passed on a chance to lock in 100 million extra doses of the Pfizer vaccine, potentially delaying when Americans could get it. The White House strongly denies those reports. Now the UK starting to distribute the vaccine shots. Here in the US, the FDA is getting a lot closer to granting emergency approval for the Pfizer vaccine. In fact, they meet on Thursday of this week. NBC's Sarah Dolph with details. Tonight, Pfizer and BioNTech's COVID-19 vaccine candidate one step closer to approval in the U.S. As a review of data by the FDA finds it safe and effective at preventing symptomatic infection. We didn't have any promises that uh, we tested this vaccine with the exact same way that we are testing any vaccine that is circulating out there. In a 53-page document released ahead of Thursday's FDA advisory meeting, agency scientists also reveal even a single dose appears to provide some protection and that the vaccine has met success criteria for emergency use authorization. In the United Kingdom, where it's already been approved, a British grandmother was the first to roll up her sleeve. There's light at the end of the tunnel, and not just for Britain, but for the world, I think, too. But health experts caution the U.S. is headed into a difficult winter. We're getting those staggering numbers of new cases and hospitalizations before we even feel the full brunt of the Thanksgiving holiday. California under a new stay-at-home order as hospitals fill up. The chances of us overwhelming the intensive care system here in California are very real. In Indiana, medical workers reaching the breaking point. When I feel like I just can't put it on one more time, uh, I, I think in my family. As the country passes another grim milestone, more than 15 million positive cases since NBC News began tracking them in February. Sarah Dolph, NBC News. And we have an update right now on this breaking news we've been covering in historic South L.A. There you can see that fire continues to burn in a commercial building there. Ileana Moreno is the scene right now, News Chopper 4 Alpha. Ileana. Colleen, the fire continues to burn, but overall the LA City Fire Department has done a great job in an hour's time to knock down the bulk of the frame of the flames rather here on this commercial structure fire located just south of the 10 freeway east of the 110, just off of Washington and San Pedro. It is a building that is located in an area surrounded by other buildings, which was a concern initially because the fire department was trying to keep those flames away from those adjacent buildings, and they have been successful. The only building that has burned is the one that started it all just after four o'clock. The cause of the fire is still under investigation, but you can see that the LA City Fire Department has set up a number of master streams to shoot water into the building since this is now a defensive firefight and they can't be on top of the roof and they also can't be inside because there was a partial roof collapse. Now, because the fire department is staging on the freeway, that has triggered a signal alert from the CHP, which means that all lanes except for the fast lane will remain closed on the eastbound side of the 10 freeway while the LA City Fire Department continues their firefight. And I can tell you that the slowdown on this eastbound side is all the way to the 405 freeway in West LA. Now, that's the very latest from over the fire in historic South LA. Back to you in the studio. Thanks, Eliana. It's really something to see firefighters on top of those very long ladders just off the freeway. Los Angeles County fire crews have been mopping up a brush fire out in the El Monte area. This one broke out in gusty wind conditions around 12.15 this afternoon near Dupree and Rosemead. 
firefighters really pounced on it. By 1.30, they had the fire's forward progress limited to just three acres. No injuries. Meteorologist David Bigger is tracking conditions out there for you this evening. David? And Chuck, we are looking at still seeing some of that offshore wind right now. This is actually what it looks like with the current winds. And you see across LA and Ventura County Valley locations, we're still seeing some wind out there, anywhere from about 10 to 20 miles an hour. That is a lot lighter than the one we had earlier this morning and we had earlier this afternoon as well. Still seeing a little bit of that offshore breeze across portions of the Inland Empire into Orange County. You can see around Anaheim, Santa Ana, and Long Beach that it is still considered an offshore wind with the wind out of the east, but it is very light at this point. Now, because we still have some of that offshore wind, it is still very dry out there, so the fire danger is still elevated, and that's why we have that red flag warning until about 10 o'clock tonight. A lot of single-digit humidities on the map, but that could change as we get into tomorrow. One other thing we had today was some pretty warm temperatures since that offshore wind. A lot of 70s and low 80s on the map today with 82 at LAX, 82 degrees in downtown LA, 83 degrees in Ontario, still warmer than some of the inland spots at the coast. That all has to do with the offshore wind as well. But everything's going to start to change as we go through the next couple of days. For tomorrow, just a very weak morning breeze just for mainly LA and Ventura County, then calm winds for the rest of the day. Temperatures will be cooler for tomorrow, but still mild and running in the 70s in a couple of spots. And the rest of the week, colder highs are back, and I'll show you how cool it's going to get coming up in a couple of minutes. Back to you. Hi, David. You mentioned winds. Well, the Santa Ana winds are rarely a welcome sight in Fire Point, Southern California. And as NBC4's John Hannah Klimek explains, it's also become somewhat of a nuisance for SoCal Edison customers who have their power shut off as a precaution. As you can see, I'm, I'm, I'm losing a little sand. John Gray and his wife spotted our new sound and said they want SoCal Edison to hear their frustration over the latest round of public safety power shutoffs. They tore a car off three times in the last two weeks. It's like third world conditions, and people say, buy a generator, that'll solve it. No, it won't. We understand that this is a hardship for our customers to be without power. SoCal Edison says the wildfire danger is what prompts what is called a public safety power shutoff. The company added that it's working to insulate power lines in fire-prone areas in the hopes that outages are less frequent. We can never say that we will never stop using a public safety power shutoff. It will always be a tool in our toolkit because it all depends on safety and the wildfire threat. DC generators like these in almost every neighborhood here, and they're loud, as you can hear, part of AT&T. SoCal Edison says it's a partner that they reach out to in advance to prepare them to make sure the neighbors at least have phone service. We work with all these agencies, John. I mean, we work with the city and county agencies. We notify them 72 hours in advance. Uh, we start monitoring the weather events a week out. SoCal Edison says customers can file claims for wasted food and get rebates on generators on the company's website, but not much comfort for those living through this and using that available phone service to call in complaints to the state's public utilities commission. Which is ridiculous. Yeah, that doesn't make any sense. At night, when I'm in the generator running, I feel like I'm in the middle of the jungle of Vietnam. Ridiculous. But SoCal Edison says it's not over yet. While some lines are just now starting to get de-energized, they warn of another wind event late this week that could lead to another round of shutoffs. In Simi Valley, John Kenny Klimak, NBC4 News. Heading out of town for the holidays, maybe to a friend's home? Coming up, the warning from health experts to stop super spreader gatherings. Plus, our I-team takes a closer look at the proposed budget cuts to the LAPD and what they could mean for public safety. And next, some help to the hungry in Orange County as the need for food continues to grow. Southern California isn't a place. It's a thousand places, a collection of voices, opinions, faces, where talent wins and taking a stand.
follow the strongest winter still across LA and Ventura County winds from spot. Now, as we go through the overnight hours tonight and into early tomorrow morning, most of that wind starts to go away, but by 10 o'clock tomorrow morning, we still have a little hint of offshore flow. And you can see that still around, again, LA and Ventura counties, anywhere from about 5 to 10 miles an hour. And even if you look toward the Inland Empire, even though you're not seeing much in the way of wind, these are all relatively calm observations. The general direction is still out of the east or out of the north, and that means that we still have that little offshore breeze. But as we get into the afternoon hours for tomorrow, what's going to happen is all that goes away, and we'll actually start to reintroduce an onshore breeze. That's a cooling wind for us, so we'll start to feel a little bit of that tomorrow, and we'll feel a lot more of that as we get into Thursday. Let me show you what to expect for tomorrow. We'll start with the high desert temperatures, kind of similar to today. Temperatures running in the upper 60s. Some of the area mountains are going to be bouncing back into the 50s for tomorrow, 55 degrees in Brightwood, 54 in Big Bear. We'll see another day of some passing high clouds, very similar to what we had today. Now, for the Inland Empire, temperatures tomorrow will be more in the 70s. Expect the mid-70s around Riverside and Corona, 75 degrees around Moreno Valley, 74 in Hemet, 58 degrees in Ottawa, again, passing high clouds overhead. Orange County's inland temperatures dropping out of the 80s back into the mid-70s. We have 73 in Mission Viejo for tomorrow, 75 degrees in Santa Ana. We're looking more now the 60s again along the Orange County coastline with 71 degrees in Laguna Niguel, 68 degrees around Huntington Beach. For the Ventura County coastline, we had the mid-80s today. Tomorrow we're looking 70s, so expect 71 degrees in Oxnard, 74 degrees in Camarillo as well as Thousand Oaks, 75 in Simi Valley, 77 in Van Nuys. And we will be looking at some passing high clouds over the L.A. Basin in San Gabriel Valley for tomorrow. Expect a lot of 70s, 75 degrees in downtown L.A., 70 in Manhattan Beach, 74 in Torrance, and 76 degrees in Whittier. Now, as I mentioned, next couple of days, we have the cooling trend really coming along. You'll see this here at the seven-day forecast. Basin's on top, coastline's on the bottom. Mid-70s for tomorrow around the coastline. But you see how we drop almost 10 degrees into Thursday, and we keep cool. And this is just a little bit below average for this time of year as we head into Friday, back up around average as we get into Saturday. Here's what it looks like as we take a look at the inland spots. The valleys are on top here. The inland empire is on the bottom. Mid to upper 70s for tomorrow. Still a little hint of that offshore breeze across the San Fernando Valley and the valleys of Ventura County. But we'll drop down into the 60s as we get into Thursday and Friday. So cool starts the weekend, a little bit of a mild weekend ahead. For the, for the high desert on top and the low desert on the bottom, we've got temperatures running in the 60s for the high desert for tomorrow. We'll remain in the 60s for the next few days, but we will be on that cooling trend heading into the weekend. And we'll see a little bit of that cooling trend as well in the upper elevation. We go from the mid-50s tomorrow into the upper 40s for Thursday, mid-40s by Friday, and then we'll sort of turn around a little bit and start warming up as we get into the start of next week. And we will be watching for some passing weather systems and maybe some additional offshore winds, but for the next couple of days, Winds are going away, and we're getting much cooler. That's the future forecast. Back over to you. Now may be the winter of our discontent, but this man, named William Shakespeare, is giving us great hope. Still ahead here at 5, his message after getting the vaccine. And next, it's the great buffalo escape in the Inland Empire, how wildlife officers finally wrangled the wayward bison. Dimmer switches landscape lighting right